Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 5th, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Now, this chapter is absolutely cram-packed with the great works of God. But before we get into that, I want to remind you about the purpose of the Gospel of Mark. Remember, there are four Gospels, and each one has a unique purpose in the great story of God and presenting Jesus as the Messiah of the world, the Messiah of the Jewish people, yes, but the Savior and Lord of all the earth. And so we've already seen in the Gospel of Matthew that it is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the king. And that is why, to begin with, in chapter 1, we trace the lineage all the way back to King David and then to Abraham, the two men that are most important in the entire Tanakh for understanding the great line of redemption and the Crimson River that runs from the Garden of Eden all the way to the celestial city and the new heaven and the new earth in the book of Revelation. And so we've got the four Gospels, and uh, when we look at even the early years of Jesus, in the first couple of years of his life, you have Magi from the east coming to worship the king, he that is born king of the Jews. When you get to Luke, Luke is a physician, and God used him to show the humanity of Jesus, that he is all man. Yes, he is fully God, as John presents him, but he is all man. And that is why in the Gospel of Luke, you have the sense of Luke presenting over and over again Jesus in all of his humanness. That is, he was fully man. He was wearied. He was tired. He was emotional. He was hurt. He was abandoned. All of those various emotions that we all go through are recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And that's where when we want to turn to read the, quote, Christmas story, it is in the Gospel of Luke, where we have the birth of Jesus recorded from Mary, and you have all of the precursors to that with John the Baptist and the end of the silent years, everything that you can imagine about the birth and the preparation for the birth and then the swaddling clothes and the shepherds and all of that and the um, uh, circumcision of the child, that's all in the Gospel of Luke. And then you have the Gospel of John, where we don't start with Jesus and his genealogy with Abraham and David or his presentation in a house or as in Luke where you have him presented as a babe in Bethlehem, uh, which he was, and uh, all of the prelude to that. And then in his uh, emotion throughout the Gospel of Luke, oh, no, in the Gospel of John, we don't start with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, but this is in the beginning, in eternity, far beyond the creation of heaven and earth, there is God. And 
the Word is presented as God and God as the Word. There's messages that I've preached that you can look back and see uh, all about how the Jews looked at the concept of the Logos, how the Greeks looked at the concept of the Logos, and how John presents him as the Creator, that this Creator came into his own, his own received him not. Then this Creator became flesh, and He dwelled among us, and and how no one has ever seen God in His spiritual nature, but this one-of-a-kind Son, this monogenes, has presented God to us so that we can know Him in a personal way. All of these things are critical, and over and over again, John presents Jesus as God walking, God talking, and this is why he took seven sayings that Jesus said that that only God could say. And he took seven signs, seven miracles, seven Samion that only God could do and presented Jesus as the one and only God Almighty. And so you have this deity presented in the Gospel of John, his humanity in the Gospel of Luke, his kingship and royal nature in Matthew. Well, what about the Gospel of Mark? Well, Mark doesn't start with a birth. He doesn't start with a babe. He doesn't start with a toddler. He doesn't start with eternity. But he starts at the baptism of Jesus. Why? Because this is the gospel that shows Jesus is the obedient son of the Father. He is the servant who has come to do the will of the Father, to act out righteousness in every aspect of his being. You see, the righteousness that God gives to us through Jesus Christ is the earned righteousness of Jesus. And this is presented in the Gospel of Mark. In other words, he is the one that is presented as the as the true and the living servant of Almighty God. And he is presented as the one and as the only one who can live in obedience to the Father's will. And so this is a very important gospel. And the most uh, prominent word in the gospel is the word immediately. Because Jesus not only obeyed the Lord, he lived in rapid obedience to the Father, and he obeyed at every level. When I talk about the earned righteousness of Jesus, you see, Jesus has an inherent righteousness. He is God Almighty. But when Jesus came as the second Adam, he came, and where Adam disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. Where Adam lived in a pristine existence where there had never been any sin, where everything around him inclined him toward righteousness, everything around him should have given him a propensity to righteousness, and he failed. But yet Jesus came, Jesus, the Messiah, came, and he came into a fallen, cursed world where everything around him was ungodly. Everything around him was sin-cursed, and yet he lived in perfect obedience to his Father. And that is the righteousness that he imputes to us. That is, when people say, I'm just as righteous as Jesus, what they're talking about is not his inherent righteousness righteousness as God, that's we don't become little gods. No, Jesus uh, imputes to us his righteousness that he earned that Adam didn't because in Adam we all die, in Jesus we all live. 
and Adam, how you get into his line is to be born of the flesh, how you get into the line of Jesus and the family of God spiritually is to be born again. And so these are critical elements in our lives when we are studying the Word of God. And so the Gospel of Mark is a gospel that has to do with obedience. And as you go through the entire gospel, you're going to see Jesus obedient over and over again. And that cost him in his own family, in his own village. And that's what Mark chapter 6 opens up with, and that is the rejection of Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. It says, then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when Shabbat had come, where do we find Jesus, says Shabbat? He is in the synagogue worshiping in the Beit Knesset. He's at their gathering point. Now, this is very important. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, beginning with about 15 or 16 verses into Luke, chapter 4, you get this picture of Jesus coming into his own city of Nazareth and going into the synagogue, as was his custom. You see, Jesus was an observant Jew. He was a religious Jew, and so were his disciples. And come Shabbat, they were worshiping and in the synagogue doing what religious Jews and observant Jews did. They were reading and studying the Torah portion. They were going through the rituals. Why? Because there are rituals that lead to godliness, and we need to be involved in those just like Jesus was. Now think about it. Jesus went into the synagogue. When you read the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, you read all the way down to verse 6 from verse 1, you see that Jesus was rejected because uh, he was speaking with great power and authority and the people didn't like it. They didn't want it. They thought, well, this is Joseph's son. Who does he think he is? And so therefore Jesus said, uh, prophet is not what without honor, save in his own country. And many of us have understood that uh, from a firsthand basis. But this is critical that we understand that Jesus was in his own hometown doing what he had done since he was a boy, and that is being observant in going into the synagogue on Shabbat and worshiping. And he was reading the Torah portion, according to the Gospel of Luke, that even uh, had been set out 400 years before through Ezra and what Ezra had established as the great scribe, the leader of the Jewish people. And so he was religious. Now think about it. Uh, many times you hear people say, well, I don't want to go down there to the church because if I go to worship with people, I'm going to be worshiping with people that are worse off than I am or just as bad as I am. I'm just as good as they are. Now think about this. The Lord Jesus went and worshiped with people in the synagogue and studied with people in the synagogue that every one of them was a sinner. He was the only one that wasn't. He was absolutely righteous and perfect. I mean, somebody could have come up to Jesus and said, well, do you think you're perfect? He could have said yes. I mean, if they came up to him and said, who do you think you are, God? He could have said yes and been righteous in doing that. What I'm saying is everyone in that synagogue that Jesus worshiped with was less than what he was, but that did not deter him from going and worshiping on a regular basis as well was his custom in the synagogue.
And so this is what we are dealing with in the Western world and dealing with in a sin-cursed world. And the Lord Jesus showed us the way in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Then you have the sending out of the 12. He sent them out two by two. Why? Because every word according to the instruction of Moses, the Torah of Moses, and that's what the word Torah means, not law, but instruction. In the instruction of Moses, every word needs to be established by two or more witnesses. Not one he said, she said, but by two or more witnesses. And that's established. Then you have in verse 14, the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. That's right. The forerunner of Jesus was beheaded at the behest of a uh, silly young lady who was following the adulterous words of her mother. And you had a man in Herod Antipas that could not stand for truth. Of course he wouldn't. He uh, had no basis morally for doing that. And then you have also in this chapter, the feeding of the 5,000. Then you have Jesus walking on the water. Two of these things are miracles that only God can do. The feeding of the 5,000 is uh, really just uh, like the story of Moses and the manna. God provided, multiplied the fishes and the loaves. And people followed Jesus. Face it, people followed Jesus. We see this over and over again because of what he could do for them. You see, there were many disciples that were following Jesus simply because of what he could do for them. Sounds like a lot of Westerners today. That is, many of us in America, many of us in the United States, many of us are following Jesus because of what he can do for us. Now, I uh, am saying us because there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, and I'm not saying all are. Uh, Many are are following Jesus, of course, out of the truest motives. But many people look at Jesus as some cosmic bellboy, some fetchum that says, okay, uh, you do this and you do that, and I'm going to declare this, I'm going to decree that, and God in heaven has to follow their decrees and their words. That is not what the Bible teaches. God doesn't follow us. We follow God. We don't decree and dictate to God. God decrees and dictates to us, and we follow that. And that is, we are not God and we are not allowed to play God and be God. And so Jesus did things that no one else can do. This uh, event of him walking on the water, think about that. I mean, even Peter was allowed to walk on the water until he looked around and saw all of the concept and the uh, space and time in which this was happening, and it got him off. As long as he was keeping his eyes on Jesus, he was walking in the will of God, he could actually walk on water. But the moment he got his eyes off Jesus, he started sinking and needed God to rescue him. Now, all of this is in the gospel of Mark chapter 6. And one final thing. And that is, uh, all Mark records, and many of this is just very concise language. He doesn't give details. But he said many were wanting to be healed and just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. You remember the woman who had the issue of blood. She wanted to just press through and touch the hem of his garment. Well, the hem there is a very particular word, and it's not the hem of a blue jean pant or of any robe. This is the word for the robe of a 
prayer shawl. Jesus was wearing a prayer shawl, no doubt about that. You can see a great work by Lamar Cooper on this. I have the article on it. He allowed me to edit it and to expand it somewhat. But Lamar Cooper did a great work on the fact that Jesus wore a prayer shawl. And uh, I have included that in a couple of the works that I have printed. Sometime I would love to share that whole article with you in a podcast or a message where you could see it for yourself. It'll be in book form, hopefully, again, before very long as we're editing and revising some works. And I'm just saying to you that what happened was people were so pressing into Jesus that they just wanted to touch the tzitzi of his teflim, of his prayer shawl. Jesus, as you know, was a Jew. We in the West, we close our eyes when we pray. The Jews do not close their eyes when they pray as such. They pull a prayer shawl over their head, and it serves almost like blinders would on a horse uh, and a bridle, and it blocks out everything from around them, and they concentrate on the Word of God. That's like a closet they go into, and it blocks off everything around them when they pull the prayer shawl over their head, and they close the door with the Word of God, with scriptures, with a prayer book whatever the case is, and that forms an enclosure where they can have concentrated time with God and His Word. And they're reading the Word of God. Yes, prayer is not just talking to God. That's a misnomer. That's a that's an error to say that prayer is simply talking to God. That is not the full picture. Prayer is communicating with God, and it's far more important that we hear what God has to say to us through His Word by His Spirit. Spirit, instead of what we do naming off a prayer list and naming off people that we want God to do something in their life. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but if that's all your prayer life consists of, I promise you, you're going to eventually come away very empty because prayer is not just talking to God. It's communicating to God and primarily reading God's word back to him and claiming the promises that are in the book of God. The gospel chapters that we have selected are just full. Read them. Read them again. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.